0: So this is us, a series where we're rediscovering what it means to be family, realizing that all of our families look different, none of them are perfect, and yet realize there are things that that we need to hear, things that we need to do, things that God wants to do in us that um, will really benefit all of us. Again, my name is Dion. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us in the room online. Um, Some of you may have noticed I wasn't here last weekend. Not that you should have missed me. Steve Howard had a great message last week. If you missed it, go back and uh, and check it out in our archives. But um, I was out of town last weekend. I was doing a wedding for a friend. Out east, Uh, we were in Newport, Rhode Island. Anyone ever been there? It's a really beautiful place. I'd never been there before, so it was my first time there. And uh, last weekend was also my anniversary, my wedding anniversary. And so over 17 years of marriage, I've learned that it's probably not a good idea to travel to a beautiful destination on my anniversary weekend without my wife. So um, Jocelyn came along, and we made a short weekend of it, and we really had a, a a great trip until our return trip home. Um, we actually flew out of Boston, and so uh, when we got to Boston, we discovered our flight had been delayed a couple of hours, which meant that we missed our connecting flight in Chicago, which meant that we were spending the night in Chicago. We're supposed to be home Monday night. I had to spend the night on Monday night in Chicago. Anyone miss TWA? I'm just <laughs> wondering. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pain sometimes. It's a nuisance, and we were kind of you know, frustrated about that. The biggest problem was that we have three kids at home, and we had farmed them out over the weekend to some friends who were good enough to take care of them, and, uh, and yet Tuesday morning was the beginning of swim team and uh, musical theater camp, and we hadn't made provision for any of that because we were supposed to be home on Monday night and instead we're in Chicago, and we couldn't just pick up the phone and call grandma and ask her to take care of the kids because grandma lives 500 miles away. Hi, grandma. She's probably watching, um, and so does grandpa and all of her family. We don't have any family here which is really dumb, by the way. Just a dumb way to live. I'm just gonna (laughs) declare that today. And yet, it's increasingly common, isn't it? Ever since the 1940s, 1950s, we have seen the rise of what is known as the nuclear family, (laughs) Not in that way, like nuclear power, but, but nuclear, like the nucleus of what a family is, the heart of a family. Two generations living under one roof, the nuclear family. This has become the norm for us. It's just kind of what we think of when we think of family. And this is also true in places like Western Europe and other industrialized nations. The reality of the rest of the world, though is that most families still live in what is called extended families, where there are multiple generations of people all living under one roof, doing life together, working out the, uh, the complexities of life together. But we're, we've, kind of, we've kind of zoomed in on this way of doing family, and this is kind of how we think of it. Now, there are some advantages of doing family this way. One of the advantage, advantages of doing family uh, this way is there is increased... Upward economic mobility in these kinds of families. It's easier to pick up a family of four or five and move them across the country to chase after a new job that pays better, that gets you a better house, gets your kids into a better school, you know, fuels the economy. It's easier to do that in families like this than this. Also, because these families are smaller, they can be places where emotional connections between the people in the family are stronger. You have deeper emotional connections with the people around you. Um, These families tend to be kid centric. There aren't any other people to worry about so the focus is very much on the kids which can be a very good thing you're preparing kids for life for being good citizens for being well prepared for careers and in life and everything else um that can happen in these families another benefit of these families is that someday after you do your job and you raise up these kids they move out i'm going to repeat that because some of you i think need to hear that again today they grow up and they move out which is good for the kids they start their own family great for the parents who finally get to uh, have some peace and sanity back in their lives. So there are some upsides of doing family this way, but there are also some disadvantages of doing family this way as opposed to doing family this way. Um, In fact, in, in the United States, there are more families living under poverty that look like this than like this, because uh, when you don't have resources of other people to pull from, then, uh, then you have a harder time making it, and so there are a lot of families, although some really make it and do better for themselves, some uh, living under the poverty line or requiring government assistance. In fact, as more and more families, as a society is made up of more families like this, that's what happens. Needy people, um, the elderly, disabled people find themselves just being left behind, shut out, and forgotten. And these families, they tend to take care of them a little bit better, and uh, they end up being in the care of the government and other people. They end up, uh, they end up being isolated. Uh, another challenge of this kind of family, as opposed to this kind of family, is that it puts incredible amounts of pressure on, on these people who are me, trying to meet all the demands of life, and yet they're doing it on their own. Now, and a number of our families, some of you sitting here today, you don't even have this. There's, there's one of you, you're a single parent family, and you know the pressure. Or there's some of you who you're a grandparent, but you're raising your grandkids because of circumstances in life. And so you understand the incredible amount of pressure that goes into doing family this way. Now, there's been a lot of debate recently over the last uh, 10 or 20 years about which kind of family system is preferable. And there are papers written about which is better for the economy and which is better for the raising of kids. As if we have a choice, really. (laughs) Because the truth is that most of us don't have a choice when it comes to what kind of family we were raised in. And a lot of us don't have a lot of choices when it comes to how we decide to raise our own families. We may not have extended family living nearby because they moved away, they retired down in the southwest. Or uh, we we may have had to move somewhere because we lost our job and and we had to find a job somewhere else and we didn't have a choice. Or, Or some of us, we may not have healthy Relationships with our extended family. And so it doesn't make any sense to live near them. It's actually an unhealthy thing to do. Or some of us, we just may not have extended family. And so it's all fine and good to argue about which kind of family system is best. The reality is we got what we got. We can't change that. We just got to do what we can with what we've been given. And yet, in the middle of all of this, this arguing about what kind of family picture is best there's something else that has happened that I think is even more concerning and it's completely preventable. Over the last hundred years, not only have our families changed, but something else has changed for us. The, the, the number of social connections, the number of deep social relationships that we have with other people over the last 80, years has radically decreased. In fact, a guy by the name of Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone uh, about a decade or so ago. And it it chronicles this change in the way that we as Americans, specifically speaking to Americans, but Westerners, the way that we uh, relate with each other. And he talks about how as family has shifted, other things have shifted too see, see nowadays we may not only have one big move To chase after our career But we may have several And we're not just leaving grandparents behind Or aunts and uncles But, but who else are we leaving behind we're, we're leaving behind that childhood friend That we grew up with that, that has known us since we were babies We leave them behind And we leave behind that elderly couple Who lives up the street Who are like surrogate grandparents to us who we could go to if we needed something or if our parents needed something, we leave them behind. And we leave behind that couple that was getting married the same time we were and was having kids the same time we were and, uh, and you know, we're just kind of doing life together. We leave them behind. And we leave behind that those friends from our last church who we were in a small group with, we just got really close with. We leave, we leave them behind. And, and we leave behind not just families, but we leave behind all of these rich relationships And often we never replace those. We never take the time or energy to replace those because it's too much work. It takes too long. It's just too difficult. And so we end up bowling alone. We end up just trying to do life on our own. And meanwhile, the pressures of life don't decrease. Life isn't getting easier. Except now... What used to to require a whole village of people, you know, a whole extended family and extended families connected to extended families and and people being neighborly to each other and looking after each other and and together as a whole community, we'd manage life and the ups and downs and the difficulties and just the day-to-day. Now, all of those burdens that used to rest here in these giant communities are now being relegated to the next one, two, three, four other people we have in our small nuclear families. See, this is a disaster. And it's a disaster that we keep choosing for ourselves. In fact, this disaster, it's it's well-documented in our health. I hope you know this. I hope you know this, that one of the best things you can do for your physical health is to cultivate rich relationships with others. Look at this. There was a study done of adults with coronary artery disease. So a bunch of adults have the same disease. The socially isolated had a risk of death 2.4 times greater than their more socially connected peers. People with the exact same disease, only thing that's different, some are connected, some are disconnected. Those who are disconnected are two and a half times more likely to die than those who are connected. Now there are a bunch of other studies that could show you That just blow your mind If you haven't seen them I mean go home and look Prove me wrong I, You'll see it Over and over and over again And my, my thought is Where is this In all of the healthcare debate In America right now Why aren't we talking about this Why aren't there commercials Instead of saying Hey take this pill For your condition Why aren't, why aren't there commercials that Say hey make a friend For your condition Because if you don't have friends You're going to die You're two and a half times More likely to die Like where is that There's no money in that I guess right And yet this is important We also know this About our mental health POWs, you know, they, torture, they get tortured in prison camps and yet if you really want to torture them or if you want to take a, an unruly inmate in our prison system and you want to punish them, they're already in prison but you want to punish them further, what do you do? You isolate them, don't you? You separate them. Because we can only stand that for so long, being isolated, being alone before we just break down. Uh, Years ago, an organization called the Search Institute, they developed a list of 40 developmental asset assets. Uh, you, can, you can check this out. If you've got kids, if you work with kids, you should know this work. It's really, really important work. They identify 40 developmental assets that kids need to grow into healthy, whole adults. And as you look at that asset list, you'll see stuff about the kind of family, you know, the parents and, and the kind of assets the kids have, the right you know attitude or aptitude or mindset. But it's amazing. You look at this list, over half... I'm sorry about half of these assets of these 40 have nothing to do with the family that the kids are raised in Nothing to do with the kids themselves. They're all about the village The community that surrounds Kids and so you can bust your tail parents and give your kid every advantage But if they don't have that social network around them, if they don't have a village around them They don't have some of the things that they need to thrive See, unlike what's happening in families that we can't always prevent and we're not sure what's right or what's best, you have complete control over this, over the kinds of relationships, the number of relationships you invest yourself in. It's only a matter of priorities. That's all it is. You have complete control over this. You can change this, but you don't. And I don't either. Why? Because you have bought into the picture, just like I have, you bought into this picture, this illusion that your little family's enough, that you are enough to be able to deal with all the things that life throws at you. And if you're not, if you can't, then there's something wrong with you. And I just want to declare today that if you can't manage all the things that life is throwing at you, if you can't manage even just just the normal day-to-day life, there's nothing big going on, no big crisis, if you struggle to manage, to stay on top of it all, there is nothing wrong with you. See, we weren't meant even to do families Alone. Whether you're talking about nuclear family, extended family, we weren't meant to do families alone. And and you know what? The early church, they figured this out really quick. And I'm talking about the early, early, early church. I'm talking about people who believed in Jesus just days and weeks after his death, resurrection, and ascension. Because what happened in the early church almost immediately is that as people started following Jesus, their family said, wait a minute. You believe that guy was the son of God, the Messiah? Shh you're out and they were shunned by their families and then their synagogues or religious communities looked at them and said this is heresy we crucified that guy you know like we man we, we don't we don't believe what you're saying in fact you're a heretic and they were thrown out of their synagogues they were thrown out of their communities and then the religious leaders who had political power they started arresting these people beating them later on they seized their property and so really quickly the early church was a group of people who were isolated disconnected persecuted but what they found in the middle of all of that hardship and all of that isolation, what they found were deep connections with each other. fact, we're going to read about this because I think we need this picture. We need to see this in Acts chapter 2. Now, Acts chapter 2, if you know it, if you know anything about Acts chapter 2, then what you might know is that this is the chapter of the Bible that records Pentecost. That event that Trisha talked about earlier where God gave his spirit, this once very exclusive spirit, God gives unprecedented accessibility to his spirit to anyone who professes Jesus. And the spirit comes, and we usually focus at the beginning of Acts chapter two where the spirit comes and there's tongues of fire and people start preaching in different languages and then there are healings and miracles and things that happen after all of that. All things that, that still happen today that God's spirit still works But I think what we often miss when we talk about Pentecost is a gift that the Spirit gave and it came just a little bit later, but it was every bit as important, maybe even more important for us in this generation than those other gifts that is a fruit, that is a gift of that same Spirit given on Pentecost. So we're not going to look at the beginning of the chapter where all of the exciting, crazy stuff happens. We're going to look later on at a gift that, that we, need to, we need to ask for and we need to embrace today, I think, more than ever. Again, Acts chapter 2, page 1092 here in the room, or you can follow along here on the screen as well. So it says, they devoted themselves. Who's they? It's these early... Early Christians. They weren't even called Christians yet. It was so early. They didn't have a name for them. Later on, they were called followers of the way. Here, they were just heretics who believed in Jesus for most people. Um, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, this word devoted, like when we think of devoted, I think often we think of people who are passionate, they're on fire, they'll, you know, they'll do anything, they'll, they're all in, they're like, you know, go after it. And that's a part of what it means to be devoted. So the other part of what it means to be devoted here in this, this nuance. This word in Greek has a nuance. Uh, the nuance is is a patience, a steadfastness. I'm all about the passion and the go after it, and the, you know, I'm the patience. That's not my forte. And yet that's what this implies, not just being all in, but, but being all in for the long haul, being patient and steady and hanging in there. And so we, we learned that the early church, they learned this devotion. They were devoted. It was a gift of the spirit. And they devoted, devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, so the scriptures and how the apostles would point to the scriptures and, and prove that the scriptures referred to Jesus and that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. But they also devoted themselves to this, to fellowship to a cup of coffee and a donut hole, right? Because that's how we talk about it in the church, fellowship. That's, you know, it's what you do out there in the lobby, and you have some food, and you kind of say, hey, how are you doing? And and no, this was a deeper picture of fellowship. It's a churchy word, and we've kind of made it something shallow. This word actually, it actually connotes, it denotes like some of the most deepest kind of intimacy human beings can have, there's even a nuance, it's not, it's not suggesting this, but there's a nuance in this word of intercourse. I mean, that intimate. So they devoted themselves to fellowship, to intimacy with each other. To the breaking of bread, that's just not eating together, but that's also worship, celebrating the Lord's Supper, prayer that also has elements of worship. So these were people who, who became devoted not only to the scriptures, not only to worship, but to each other. We're gonna see this later on as the spirit continues to work. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The apostles, people like Peter and James and John, they were healing and casting out demons, amazing things. But here's what I find just as amazing. Look what the Spirit did. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and, and there was a crisis going on. I just told you there was persecution, and people were having their property seized, and people were being arrested. And, and so there was a humanitarian crisis going on. And, 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 the, and, and the believers, they just like, hey, no problem, we're gonna sell stuff, we're gonna make sure that no one goes without here. It says, every day they continued to meet together, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts in spite of all of the craziness going on in their world, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So that's a picture that we need to wrestle with today. And I know when you look at this picture, some of you look at this picture, and the first thing that comes to mind is, man, that's socialism. I learned about this. I know what that is, socialism. But this isn't government. This is church. This isn't forced. This is a voluntary way of living. See, what the Spirit did on Pentecost is so important, so powerful. What the Spirit did is the Spirit took isolated, broken, pained, uh, just people struggling, suffering people, and it knit them together into a village, into a, into a family. Those of you who know the Apostles' Creed, uh, you know the Apostles' Creed, some of you? Third article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. then what does it say next? Holy Christian Church or Holy Catholic Church a Community of Saints goes on and you're like, man, the Holy Spirit gets one phrase. That's it. Jesus got like a paragraph. You got to take a breath and change the screen in the middle of it. Jesus got all this stuff. The Holy Spirit gets, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's it. And then we talk about the church. No. See, what did the Holy Spirit do on Pentecost? It took people who were trying to struggle through life on their own and it knit them together into one family. You may look at Acts and you may see this crazy stuff and you're like, man, these people, they're sharing things, they're selling their stuff, they're they're giving it away. That's that's weird, that's threatening. But let me ask you, isn't this what families do? It's weird when it's the church, but but this this isn't about church. This is about the Spirit making people into a family, knitting them together into one body. And isn't this what families do? Families share stuff. Families worship together. They pray together. At least, you know, that's a nice idea. Maybe your family doesn't do that, but maybe you'd like them to do that because you realize that would be a good thing. And families, they grow together, but families, they share resources. They share material possessions. Don't we do that in our families? Or does everyone in your house have their own fridge with their own food? All lined up, five of them in the kitchen, right? right. I got one kid who would like to have it that way, but we we don't let her. Uh, My wife's always like, no, we share food. You don't get to have your own. And and so, right? I mean, in your family, does everyone have their own couch? And you're like, no, don't sit on that couch. That's my. Now, maybe you do. Actually, that's a bad example. How about this? In your own family, does everyone have their own vacuum cleaner? No one likes to vacuum, so I know you don't have one for each person, right? You're glad to share that thing. This is what we do in families. We share, we share resources. See, before Jesus left, he promised, he looked at his followers and he promised them. He said, I'm leaving, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. But I will send my spirit to you, the spirit of truth. He's gonna lead you in the way of truth. But not only that, he's gonna bring you together because you're going to be scattered. You're going to think this whole community thing that we have is over, but, but the Spirit is going to bring you together. And, and, and the Spirit is going to bring you together in such an intense family that people are going to look at you. They're going to look at you, and they're going to call you the body of Christ. They're going to say that you... Are my body because I'm not here anymore but they will look at the way you love and care for one another the way that life flows through this community back and forth and outside to, to outsiders and people who hate you and persecute you they're going to look at the way that love and life flows through this community and, and they're going to look at that and they're going to say that is the body of Christ that's what's going to happen when I send my spirit Jesus said and on Pentecost we saw it happen not only did it happen but we saw the, the fruit of what it does that because of the way they lived life together there were all these other orphans all these other people who were tired of doing life on their own struggling suffering and so there were numbers of people added daily uh, to their family their family kept growing see that's a picture we need to wrestle with today because that's not how we do life right so why don't we why don't we I think there are all kinds of reasons. Maybe you don't like to share. I don't all the time either. Or uh, maybe you think it just complicates things, and it does. Or maybe you feel like it's an invasion of your privacy. You don't want people up in your business. Okay. But I think above all, I think this comes down to stupid pride. I think for most of us, we don't want anyone to claim credit for our successes, our hard work, what we built, our legacy, our nest egg, our, you know, we don't want anyone claiming credit for that. We want to be able to say that we did that. But but I think even more than that, I think most of us, we are too proud to admit when we're struggling. We are too proud to admit that we can't keep it together. We are too proud to admit that, that even the simplest things in life sometimes are overwhelming for us because if we were to admit that, if we were to let people in, if we, if we were to ask for help, either people would say we are moochy, we're mooches, we're just leeching off of them, or they would say we're incompetent, right? And how do we know people would say that? Because we've said that about other people. We look at that mother out in public who's struggling with her kids. And our reaction isn't like, man, she's struggling. Maybe she needs a hand. Our reaction normally is like, these kids, those noisy kids are interrupting my dinner. I left my kids with a babysitter. Can't you get one lady, right? Or you look at your neighbor's yard and it's, it's like increasingly day by day looking more like the Amazon. And you're like, what's wrong with you, man? Like we all, I work all day and I keep my yard looking nice. Why, like why, what, what's wrong with you? And never once in our minds are we thinking, man, maybe, maybe this guy's overwhelmed, Maybe there's something going on there. Maybe we need to get the neighbors together we need to knock on the door with our, with, our, with our hedge clippers and our string trimmers and our mowers and say, hey, can we help you? We just want to love you. We, no, 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 no. Because see, for us, in our minds, we've all been there on the other side of it. And if, if you can't make it, if you can't do this, if you can't keep up, then in our world, you, you got to get out. Get out of the neighborhood. Go move somewhere else. Get out of the restaurant. Go find some place that, that, that wants that noise. Get out. See, we've all been there. And we've all judged people for either being moochy or being incompetent. And so we know deep down that, man, if, if, if we let people know that we're struggling, that we can't keep up, we know what they're gonna say because we've said it about other people, right? We know exactly what they're gonna say to us. See, for us in life, the reason we don't, aren't willing to go the way of Acts chapter two is because by keeping the circle small, we're just keeping it locked down by our, with our own little family we can control the message and even if everything is chaos at home we can keep that behind closed doors and we can project whatever image we want to everyone else that we're fine we're making it we're okay and it gets even worse when life gets really hard when disaster strikes when when there's tragedy when there's hardship See in those moments when when we 're really up against it, 's not just the normal stuff of life, but we 're really challenged with something big, our tendency is to circle the wagons, you know, tighten up our borders, draw everyone in, hunker down, weather the storm don 't tell anyone about it don 't bother anyone with it, which is the exact wrong thing to do see see if if you want. A stronger family the answer isn't to to shrink your borders to tighten them down to gather everyone close in fact the answer if you want a stronger family is to expand your borders now i know this doesn't make sense with nations and we're dealing with stuff in london and there's all this question about border security and i don't, I don't know anything about leading a nation and maybe that's a good policy that you tighten down your borders to protect yourself but i can tell you that that's terrible advice when you're going through hardship as a family or as a person to just hunker down and circle your wagons and keep it real close and that only makes you weaker. See, the thing to do when life is really, really throwing it at you is to do what they did next to. They didn't, they didn't cinch down their borders, they expanded their borders. It's the only way to make it through. In fact, some of you know this. Um, last fall, Jocelyn, my wife, she was sitting right there, Also, I just want to call out Lisa, the lady in the video, sitting right here. She's a real person. We're not paid actors, uh, so she's right there. I love your story, Lisa. I really do. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, But, uh, sorry, back to Jocelyn. So Jocelyn, my wife, last fall, um, she went to the dermatologist and got a spot looked at on her leg, and um, the spot came back as cancerous. And they said, "It's, it's small, we think it's contained, but we need to do an excision and look at the surrounding tissue and, and see if there's any cancer in the surrounding tissue. Now that was the first time the word cancer had been spoken in our little family over one of us. We've dealt with plenty of cancer with people that we love in our community, bigger community. Um, but it man, it, it hit closer to home when all of a sudden cancer's being said about your, your own little nuclear family. And so um Jocelyn and I we decided that we would do what I think most of us do in those moments. We would just circle the wagons stay quiet about it you know hey we don't know this is a thing it's probably not a thing they're saying the prognosis looks good let's not bother anyone about this let's not tell anyone people got their own stuff that they're managing we don't want to freak anyone out we don't want to be attention hounds it could just be small and then we'll feel dumb later like let's not alert anyone let's not bother anyone let's just manage this ourselves right you know you know that drill (laughs) yeah you know that drill And it's just so interesting to me that that in moments like that in life, you know, you you pick up a burden and you're like, okay, this is small. It's probably going to be fine. And this this is actually actually pretty light. This isn't a big deal. And in fact, I'm strong. So I can handle this. And you know what? You're right. At first you can. You can handle it because it's not that big. It's small. You're strong. You got this. No problem. But what happens the longer you, you hold on to that alone. It's small and I'm strong, but this starts to get heavy, doesn't it? And that's what we found that, you know, we try to keep it locked down, didn't want to alert anyone, didn't want to worry anyone, didn't want to bother anyone. And, and yet, you know, your mind starts running with all of the different possibilities of what could this mean and how could this change your life? And I mean, you're just going a million different ways and, and we all are trying to deal with that like on our own. Tell you this thing is already starting to get heavy, because that's how it works. And finally, it was just like, you know what? Forget this. And and so, um, I, I, I without Jocelyn's permission, stepped out and did something. Um, I began to talk to people in our village. And for us, um, our village consists a lot of people of a lot of people who are on staff here at St. John. Because that's the people We spend a lot of our life with Now I know that's against Conventional wisdom But I just have to challenge Conventional wisdom here for a second It's kind of a rabbit trail But I know that at work You're only supposed to have Professional relationships With people And not get personally involved With people at work Because that's not professional And blah 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 You know what That's a bunch of garbage You it's, it's difficult It can make things messy But you know how to handle Messy relationships Right? You don't keep emotional distance from your kids or your wife because you've got a job to do there either, right? No, of course not. And, and if, in fact, if you think that you can spend 40 or 50 hours at work and be totally, you know, no relationships with those people that you're living life with all the time and you're just going to keep it buttoned up and professional and, and sterile and, and then in the, like, what, three or four hours you have every night at home those three or four hours where you're cooking dinner and loading the dishwasher and doing laundry and mowing the lawn and running the kids here and there or taking care of all that stuff that that's going to be the time that you develop meaningful life-giving relationships with the community around you (laughs) man you're crazy you're deluded it's never going to work and so you're going to keep living life just like this through no choice of your own uh through 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 because you've got no other options right and so for us, our village, there are people I work with, and I'm not ashamed to say that. they are people that we love, and we do life with them. And, and, uh, and so finally, I, uh, I invited them to come to my office one day, and then I invited Jocelyn to come there. Again, she was unaware of all this uh, right before she picked up our kids from school. And um, we sat her down in the middle of the room, ambushed her, sat her down in the middle of the room, and gathered them around, and we laid hands on her, and we prayed. can't tell you how emotional that was for us. Not just for Jocelyn and I, because you know, we've been carrying this thing and, and even though it seemed small and it was probably nothing, like that becomes a weight when you start to think about the possibilities, right? And suddenly we weren't carrying it anymore and that thing that was getting so crippling, cripplingly heavy wasn't so heavy, it wasn't so powerful anymore. But, but not only that, it was, it was so emotional for every other person in that village because it's an honor, isn't it? When someone invites you into their struggle, we all fear judgment. We all fear that kind of stuff. But but when someone invites you in, it can be a, it can be a real honor. And that day, I think our village was changed forever. Good news is, Jocelyn's. Leg was fine, no cancer in their surrounding tissue. She's just relegated to being in the shade while the rest of us are enjoying the sun now and you know, it kind of changes your life. But, but we're grateful for that. We're so grateful for that. But I'm even more grateful for what happened there. See, we learn to expand our borders, to do something that's not natural for us. It's not natural for you probably either, but to invite people in, to open up your little sense of family broader to a bigger sense of family because I'll tell you in there, you find the healing and the help and the fullness that you need to manage life. And if I haven't convinced you of this yet, let me try it this way. See, do you know what's at stake if you keep doing family, if you keep doing life the way that you're doing it, imagining that you are enough? Do you know what's at stake? My microphone might be at stake. There it is. Uh, Do you know what's at stake? Marriages that will break down That cannot stand the weight of raising kids It's too difficult for you to do Even if you're the best parents in the world And so you may break apart Before your kids are even out of the house Or one day your kids will leave the house And you'll look at each other And you'll have nothing left for each other That's what will happen What else will happen if you refuse to do this Is we we will experience minds That buckle under the weight of insecurities And anxieties That are actually probably pretty small And you should be able to manage them on your own But guess what, you can't Because none of us can but out of pride, you'll hold on to those things and we'll have, we'll have minds that break down, that buckle under the pressure of anxieties and insecurities that are meant to be shared. We will see hearts that are so hungry for connection that they will jump at any possibility of connection no matter how unhealthy it is. And then as a result of that, they will grow cold, and hard, we will experience kids who don't have the social safety structure, the social safety net, the the encouragement, the love from a big enough uh, group of people. So these kids will grow up depressed and anxious at record numbers. Does that sound familiar? Just read the stats. And and ultimately, you know what happens? We end up with a community that's not a community at all. We call it a community, but it's like an ice cube tray. Everyone's got their own compartment and you're right next to each other, right? You got your fence line, I got mine. We're doing life next to each other all the time, surrounded by people, but not at all connected, not at all doing life the way that Acts 2 describes. And the result is we will not be well as people, as families, as a society. See, today we celebrate the day that God gave us his Holy Spirit a spirit that doesn't just enable miracles and healings and people speaking in different languages, but a spirit who takes people like us orphans, people who are struggling, people who are overwhelmed and knits us together into something bigger, something greater, a family who can love and support one another where, where life can flow back and forth between us and also out of us into others. See, I hope today that you are challenged to stop being proud, to stop trying to manage it all on your own. And instead, you expand your borders and you allow God to bring more people in. Because when that happens, not only will you find life, but the way Acts 2 closed out will happen for us as a, as a church, as a, as a body. The Lord will add to our daily, our numbers daily, those who are being saved. Please rise. I'm gonna invite us to speak words of a confession and it just kind of gives language to some of the things that we've talked about here today. Um, but I don't want you to get so hung up on the words that you missed the opportunity to really ask God to help you with this. Father in heaven, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and action. Although your love for us is unconditional and constant, we have not loved you in the same way. We also confess that we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, even those you've placed in closest relationship with us. We ask you to forgive us, renew us, and lead us to love more fully and deeply in the way of Jesus. Amen. God in his mercy has forgiven you of all of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But but more than that, he's given you his spirit so that you might be led in the way of Jesus in the way of love, learning what it is to to love people deeply, to open up your life to others, and to find life. In fact, that's how we close our service today, receiving the body and blood of Jesus poured out for us. He, He gave us his body and his blood that we might become his body and uh, become a, just become a community of life, communities of life that offer life to others. Our Lord Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed to bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood and it's shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Now do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Please be seated. The volunteers will direct you forward. And then when they do, you're invited to come and receive the body and blood of Jesus that is meant to give you life, healing, strength, reconciliation with God, but is also part of of the thing that knits us together to expand our borders. Welcome to the Lord's table.